Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ball Blob. I'm Jason Stalakis, one of your hosts. I'm here with Jack, and we have a very special guest, Ed Hand. Um, you want to introduce yourself and get um, what you're known for to the viewers? Yeah, yes. yeah, but I got a question. Why, why, why do you get a last name, Jason, but Jack doesn't? <laughs> Jack didn't put it, so he doesn't get the last name. Oh, so, so. Well, that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Ed Hand. Uh, you may know me from other things such as uh, Red, Red Sox Twitter. I'm the social media manager for SoxProspects.com. I'm the free agency, um, I don't know if expert's the right word, but I, uh, do, I, I do free agency tracking for Rob Bradford's Baseball Isn't Boring. I have a tracker um, that you can find on Medium um, in which I've rated the top 300 prospect uh, not prospects i don't i'm so used to prospect talk just from socks prospects no the top 300 available free agents it gets kind of arbitrary towards the end of it but um there aren't as many lists as i'd like there to be with that sort of thing and i missed people that's the other thing i probably could have gone all the way to 400 if i i really hated myself uh but um those are those are probably the two things that i do most um i'm on a couple of pod, my own podcasts. I do one called um, To the Show We Go with Andrew Parker, who I met while covering the Woo Sox last year. We just do a lot of interviews with uh, mostly minor leaguers. We've had a couple of the big league guys on. We had John Schreiber on last week. Um, we've got Zach Kelly coming on sometime this week. Uh, and there's some talk for some other guys like Josh Winkowski. Like, no, you know, it's hasn't been like the big all-star guys, but we're, we've gotten some people that are pretty interesting. I think Roman Anthony was probably our biggest get. Um, that was, that was pretty cool getting to, getting to talk to him. Um, if you haven't listened to it, my main takeaway was that uh, if you talk about him with baseball, he's a genius. He's an absolute savant. You bring up anything that doesn't have to do with baseball. He's like a deer in headlights. So my working theory is that he's actually a robot that was designed to play baseball. Uh, he's, he's really, <laughs> Amen. um, but yeah, the other one I do is called, um, uh, pod by the river. It's with, uh, I got my start on here, maybe like doing podcasting like two and a half years ago with a show called, on uh, a podcast called pesky report. Um, had a lot of fun with them. But it was kind of time to to break off, and I so I co-host that with uh, my friends Ryan Brady and um, my much more famous friend Hogdale, who is just the like if you don't follow Hogdale, you're not you're not doing it right. Uh, <laughs> but those, yeah, I, I keep busy. <laughs> yeah, Hogdale won the small Twitter personalities that you helped me with, actually. Yeah, Hogdale wins everything. It's not fair to put him in contests uh, for that reason. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, glad to have you on, Ed. And if you guys do not know who Ed is for whatever reason, go follow him on Twitter or X at, at this point. Um, I'll put it in the link of uh, in the end of this episode. And if you're not going to do that, it's at EdHand89 on X. So go check him out if you haven't already. And let's get this started. So Jack and Ed, you know, socks doing nothing. <laughs> I want to rip my head out. Um, Ed, I'll start with you. I know a lot of people are saying, okay, a lot of free agents are still on the board. You got Imanaga, you got Montgomery, you have Giolito. There's still plenty of guys to get out there for the Red Sox, obvious need in starting pitching. Uh, Ed, in your opinion, is should I press the panic button or should I wait? Do I wait? I mean, that's a, I don't know if the panic button is the right button because like, what, what, what are you panicking about? The team's going to finish last, just like they did the last two years. Um, there's still plenty of free agents out there. Not even half of my top 50 have gotten taken. There's still a decent amount of, um, of, you know, starting pitchers. The problem is that this was never a good free agency class. Um, Yamamoto and Otani are obviously pretty elite level talents, and you've got a couple of interesting guys left on the board. Uh, Blake Snell won the Cy Young Award. The only guy that I see really immediately helping the Red Sox that would be so in a significant way would be Jordan Montgomery. And that's not even in the sense of what they need the most, which is an ace. 
they're they're not going to get an ace in this free agency class. It's just not going to happen. But they need more than that. They need an innings eater too, and like a good innings eater. Not like oh, that guy has an ERA of around five, but he threw two hundred innings. No, we're not talking like the Corey Kluber Chad innings eater. I mean like a real innings eater, like they had in John Lackey in two thousand thirteen. And the only guy that I see as being something of a sure thing with that is Jordan Montgomery. Um, unfortunately, every other team is going to be in on him. Um, I, I, I'm not sure any player improved their stock more this off season than Jordan, this, during the season, during the playoff run than Jordan Montgomery. I think even Aga's interesting because we don't really know what he's going to be. And there's always something of a risk with Japanese players, but I, I kind of like the upside on him. He throws a lot of strikes. He's got a good change up. He can hit 96 on the fastball left-handed. So I think that there is some upside with him. I see him as being more, and it's not a perfect example. It's not a perfect comp because he's left-handed, but more like uh, a um, Hiroki Kuroda than a Kayagawa. If those references aren't hitting home, Agawa was the Yankees counter-signing to Daisuke Matsuzaka. He was he was really bad with the Yankees. Corona uh, had a nice under-the-radar career with the Dodgers and Yankees and eventually went back to Japan. But those... Um, I, I kind of see a little more Corona in him, but it's it's tough to say. You just never know with uh, that coming them coming over. And this is also, I mean, the trade market is still a thing, so you can potentially still get some. I, I think that to get a, a really good pitcher, that number one guy that they they desperately have needed for a few years now, it's either going to have to come from within or it's going to have to come from a trade. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Ed, you mind if I? You mentioned an ace and an innings eater. Uh, yep. Red Sox fans everywhere have been talking about an ace for a few years now. I think, would you agree that with the, guy, the guys available, the most ace potential or ace upside would be Blake Snell? Because especially considering Bieber and Burns don't look super realistic. No. No. I mean, Bird, Bieber maybe. Burns, I think that there's – like he doesn't want to do the extension thing, which I think right. that if you're gonna if you're going to pay – what they would have to for him, you you, you kind of need to be sure that it's not just going to be a one year thing because this isn't the year. This isn't a year for the Red Sox to say screw it and just throw all caution to the wind. The team needs a lot of work. This isn't one piece away. This is a few pieces away. This is a developing core. That doesn't mean they're going to be terrible or anything like that. It means though that this is this isn't the year to lose the conservativeness that they've had the last few. Um, Snell's interesting. I don't think he's a good fit for the Red Sox specifically. And people will have said to me, oh, you're, you hate Blake Snell. No, I don't hate Blake Snell. It's just that there's different needs for different teams. The Red Sox don't need a guy for the next three years who has only thrown 180 innings, I think, once. Um or a, a guy with the same control issues that he has. He's great at getting guys out, but he, he's sort of like 2008 Daisuke Matsuzaka in that it's always a little bit of a struggle for him. Um, it, it, he wouldn't have been the Cy Young Award winner in a stronger class, but the NL didn't exactly, you know, Logan Webb, who had a good season, was the runner-up. Um, and he was more along the lines of that. He's like an ace version of the innings eater that, you know, that they need. Like, Logan Webb would be perfect for them, but uh, he's not a true... He's not Jared Cole, I guess, if you want to come for like what that true ace is. Um, and But I mean, for the most part, there aren't going to be those aces available. It's kind of like Corbin, somebody like Corbin Burns. I don't consider Bieber to be a true ace. Uh, he hasn't been as good as he was a few years ago. Somebody like Burns is, yeah. But there aren't that many of them. That's why it's so hard Like when you label somebody an ace. It's like, what is right. that? Even you're like, okay, yeah, Tyler Glass now has ace stuff. He he's This is like the first year he's thrown over 100 innings. So would I consider that an ace? Maybe. But would I consider that reliable? No. Right. right. I mean, yeah, there is a clear difference between ace stuff and actual being an ace, right? Just putting yeah. it all together. And you did mention, like, uh, you said something about Snell's innings numbers. Just to, I just He's not a workhorse. No. And the two years he won over 130 innings pitched, he won the Cy Young. Yeah. So can you rely on him? It remains to be seen because his first Cy Young, he had an ERA of four the next season. And the the season before he won his first Cy Young, it was an ERA of four again. Um, so we don't know. And it was also, he was also under a contract year and a big prove it 
year for yeah. him because yeah because this this was a make or break year for him because think of it if he had a if he had a similar season than he had in 21 or 22 you're not looking at the market he's currently in right especially no. being, i know he's a boris con he's a boris guy and also there's this fear of like david price 2.0 i know it was the right move at the time in 2016 they needed a guy to lead the rotation i mean apples and oranges here but yeah i, I kind of get the same sense yeah I wouldn't comp Snell and Price other than that they're both left-handed and have won Cy Young Awards. I think that um, with Price, you were getting that workhorse. You are getting somebody that was going to be able to throw you close to 200 innings. Uh, Snell's not just – it's just a different beast. And I, I'd say that Snell's had more dominant seasons than Price, but Price is much more reliable. And they have plenty of guys with high upside. What they don't have is steadiness. They don't have stability. Um you can make the case that Chris Sale, if he stays healthy, maybe that's your ace. But why? You can't bet on that. You can't. You can't bet. But it, it, it's always what I always think too. That's kind of funny with this. If Chris Sale was on another team, Red Sox fans would be begging to take a shot on him. You know, like oh, he used to be an ace and this and that. Uh, but he's still in your rotation, and he's still somebody that they could get some upside. He finished strong. He had a four point three ERA, which was identical to Brian Bayo's. He just had a really terrible month of April, and he missed like two months with an injury midseason. That's kind of what you you have you you have to plan on that now going into the season. You can't mm-hmm. expect that he's going to be starting early. Yeah, yeah weird. Sale. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Jackie, go. Well, I was just going to say, Sale outside of two really bad starts versus the Orioles was like good. Even though he's finished the season with his velocity way down, there's still definitely something in that tank. And I think to the point where the Red Sox have been looking for innings for guys who can pitch innings for so long. I mean, they were hoping to get that out of Kluber. The only consistency they've had there in the past couple of years has been Pavetta and people don't know what his role is whatsoever. So I think you obviously point out Jordan Montgomery is the best available workhorse. And I think, Giolito has become a much more realistic workhorse option for them. Yeah. So wondering what your thoughts are on that. I mean, obviously, we know the potential's there. He's worked with Andrew Bailey before, and he's still on the right side of 30. Maybe they could sign him on a – he's probably looking at a two- or three-year deal, but maybe they could get a decent deal uh, on him and and, and get some some of what he was throwing like two years ago for them. Yeah. It's it's kind of tricky to tell with him. I'm – I, I don't think that the two to three is as likely. I actually think that it's either going to be a one-year proof it for him or he's going to get five or six years because, really? as you said, yeah, because as you said, he is on the right side of 30. And if you do a three-year deal when you try to negotiate for that contract again, you're on the other side of it. You're actually closer to to your mid-30s. So I – yeah. That's now I might look like a total idiot after saying that, but that's sort of the impression that I get that he's either going to try enough. to prove it or he's going to take the longer term deal while he can get it. Yeah, Giolito's interesting. He was in the middle of a really good season with a really bad team in the uh, with the White Sox. They traded him to the Angels. He was also apparently going through a really nasty divorce when this happened, and his season mm. just imploded. He dropped from like he had like a pretty respectable like around three point seven three point three point seven zero three point eight zero um and i think he ended the season at like 4.88 something like that um and this was he went to the angels he was their big we're gonna win back shohei otani deal we're gonna try sell the future for him and they ended up just dropping him on waivers about a month later and he finished the season up with cleveland um, which did not go well area no it didn't uh he was kind of running on fumes by the end of it and that's where the that that's where it does become risky when you're going after somebody who's been an innings eater their whole career that's approaching 30 because that wear and tear does take to start to take a toll on you. How much of it was the trade and what was going on in his personal life and how much of it was just his body breaking down. That's a really hard, that's something that you have to really trust your medical staff to be able to, to figure that out with him. Um, I don't just like the idea. I know that the Red Sox have been connected to him. That's been uh, the, the only two pitchers that I've really heard them talking about anything. I know um, people want to say Montgomery, and I guess there's a little bit of a connection there through um, his wife's doing a residency in Boston, so maybe he wants to stay around. But uh, from what I have heard, they don't want to pay the money that he'd be looking for, which is something similar to what Carlos Radon got last year, which – yeah. 
Uh, I mean, my my own personal opinion on that, I, I think he's worth that more than Rodona's. I think Rodona obviously has the higher ceiling, but he breaks down so easily. And for what the Red Sox need, you're going to have to pay premium on it. People are like, oh, that's $160 million. That's ace money. That's not ace money anymore. Ace money is $300 million in a lot of years. Ace money is what Jared Cole's getting. Ace money is what Yamamoto got. 166 million or whatever it's going to end up around there. 27 million a year. That's not really ace money anymore. And that's mm-hmm. why you to really be able to succeed as far as pitching goes, you, you have to be able to develop from within. And that's something that the Red Sox haven't had a lot of luck doing. So if you can't right. do that, you got to trade or you've got to sign them. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, you, you, you didn't mention like, Oh, they're not, they're not willing to pay the price. Well, you got to pay the premium nowadays because that's that's reality. That's what pitchers are commanding. That's what that's what it takes. But you do mention developing from within. I mean, we've seen a lot of that from the Verdugo trade, the Luis Urias trade for Isaiah Campbell, right? A lot of young pitching coming into the system. Kind of Bloom, I don't want to compare Bloom and Breslow yet, but We've seen, a, in my opinion, a stronger emphasis on developing pitching from within from Breslow, but that's a completely separate trend. But I mean, that's that that's a really interesting discussion to oh, have yeah. there because if like like if you want to, it, it is I can tell you guys, it is so frustrating trying to have any kind of conver- like meaningful conversation about Hyam Bloom and his tenure just because of how emotional people get over it. I have never seen a figure that wasn't even a player be as polarizing as as Hyam Bloom. Um, he they did not draft pitchers high under him. They didn't. And you can say for better or worse with that, it is riskier to draft pitchers. Uh, they're more fragile. They're much harder to predict. Whereas it, sometimes a guy just, you just hit on the right guy. Brian Bayo, I think they signed for what? $50,000. Not even. Some, yeah. Sometimes you get a hit. And so when you get a hit on a guy like that, that's something that's um, inherently already really hard to project. You know, like I, that, that I think was the calculus there. That was, I think the calculus that Bloom was taking was, well, we can't, we don't want to waste our resources on something that we don't know. That isn't a sure thing, but sometimes you have to take that risk. And I think yeah. that's where it be, get, it gets a little trickier there. Sometimes you have to pay top dollar to be sure that you're getting the right thing. Um, so I think that that, was I, I would say it was a mistake with Bloom, but you also don't want to take a guy just because he's there and you need it. Like, if it's not the right guy, it's not the right guy. I get into fights with this all the time about people with free agency where it's like, oh, you want to sign a free agent second baseman? You know who your best option is? Whit Merrifield. There, it, it's not because he's that amazing of a second baseman. I'm fine right. with Whit Merrifield, but it's not like I'm, it's not like I say, like, look, he was an all-star last year. That's what you're going to no. But those are what your options are. And I don't think that you necessarily – you don't draft the guy just because he's a pitcher. You draft him because you think that there's something you can turn him into and the price is right. Uh, but sometimes you have to – you do have to focus a little bit more and spend that money there. It's – it's. I don't envy these guys' jobs. I'll tell you that. There's so much – I know. What. I know. And it's, it's looking, in my opinion, more and more apparent. Yes, Bloom did screw up a couple of things. That oh, he absolutely we all know. did. We, yeah, we all know what's been reported, what he allegedly had on the table – but at the end of the day, you can't develop pitching if you don't have the pitching to develop. And they yeah. took their first pitcher in round five, right? And now we're uh, seeing – was round four. Are you talking about uh, Duffy? Yeah, Matt Duffy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was like weird because there was the compilation, the compensation round where they got two shortstops. And then I think they took – I forget if Duffy was before or after. It was, I think it was the picks to, from uh, Bogarts and Avali. Actually, no, that was Bogarts and Evaldi right? were Reimer and Campbell. I just forget if Duffy was taken okay, before yeah. or after that. I mean, this is this this is this, these are semantics. They, they were, he was taken after the first three guys, Duffy. Yes. I believe he was taken right after them. Yeah, and then I think after that they did draft another high school shortstop yeah. after that too. So they yeah they drafted a lot of high, but I mean right. that's shortstop yeah. you, you can move. But yeah, Fringy yeah, Rivera was a shortstop when he when he was coming up. Yeah. Yeah, but my point is, like, you can't develop these guys. And, you know, we saw guys like Shane Drohan got picked in 2020. You know who was the that pick That was interesting. You know who the pick after that was? That Was was that Strider? No, Brandon Fott. Yeah, good pick. 
you Good. it's very difficult to predict pitching uh with exactly the draft, though. that's that's the thing it's not an exact science and you're yeah. targeting different things it's interesting yeah. it's interesting but at the same time it's like 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 you said you got to take flyers on guys yeah. whether whether it's like okay the scouting team sees something they predict and in a lot of on a lot of like scouting, that's how that works. They like predict. They come yeah. up with models. I think you you definitely know it way more than I do. But I think well, let's let but but let's look at the randomness in this a little bit more. Like because it's not always the Red Sox missing on these things. Who who do you think the best player in the last few decades the Red Sox developed was pitcher for or pitcher player pitch no position player. Well, would you count Ortiz's development? No, because he was a waiver pick. Okay, Mookie well, Betts. But, yeah, Mookie but Betts. What round yeah. was Mookie Betts taken in? He was a fifth rounder. Fifth. Oh, fifth. He was a fifth rounder. So it's now you got to imagine all those other teams. Like the Tom Brady one is is used a lot with him being a sixth round. Football's totally different than baseball. But you've got to imagine that any other team for four rounds could have gotten a random high school shortstop Mookie Betts, who was probably more known for the fact that his name was Mookie more than anything about his actual ability. But something something clicked. I remember reading about this that his first year in Lowell, he was he was ready to. He thought about going back to school. He thought about leaving baseball. Um, but he got more aggressive with his with his approach. He stopped trying to be a leadoff hitter and started being a hitter. And because he had that supreme talent, he was able to do it. And he shot through the minors after that. So mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to click with a guy. You don't know what's going to happen. And uh, all these can't miss guys, they can't miss until they miss. Like we've been through we, like so many of these prospects. And it, it makes people squeamish about sticking with prospects, I think to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the thing with the Red Sox haven't, you look at the Dodgers and they pick somebody off of waivers and you're like, Oh shoot, we missed out on this guy because they immediately turn somebody into nothing. That is nothing into something. I mean, they did it with Brazier and it makes you look at, why can't we do that? The same thing with the Rays. Uh, I mean, they did it with Zach Littell. They turned him into like a good, an above average starter or maybe an average starter. And they did it with Jake Diekman. And, and when you're not developing necessarily, I mean, they, they definitely hit on a few guys in Bloom's era who came up and they didn't go through the system, but mostly developed at the, at the major league level, like Schreiber, Whitlock, Bernardino. So they were, they, they, the fact that they went back to back to back years on like a reliever like that was good. But like Jason said, outside of Drohan, we really didn't see that in the minor leagues. And I think part of what they want to do with in the Breslow era is, sort of this pitching pipeline, and we've already seen that, right? Three pitchers for Verdugo, a young pitcher for Arias. Yeah, and and it's, but it's not just signing the guys. Like, um, it's not just signing or trading for elite guys. It's taking guys that you think you can work with and bringing out the best and limited hands. Right, yeah. So, which, isn't, which isn't nearly as sexy as signing a Blake Snell. And, and, it's, and it's very difficult to do, right? I mean, yeah. when, when it's hard to turn around somebody's career, it's hard to get something out of a guy that they haven't had in two or three years. You know, it's very hard to develop pitching but let alone like redevelop pitching so it's difficult to do and i think the red sox have struggled with that and that's been an issue but i think i mean jason brought up bloom and we kind of talked about how polarizing he was a bit but i think we were all i can say we as in sensible red sox twitter was okay with okay well if they don't want him spending money at least he's going to develop from within and try and build a good young core and i think the firing for some people kind of came out of left field and to me at least it was a sign like, all right, well, they're ready to spend money, but they don't trust him to do it. And, well, they haven't done that. They, they It doesn't sound like they had an offer even close to what Yamamoto got for him. Like you mentioned, it sounds like Montgomery's out of their price range. So what was really the whole – why? what was the why as to why they moved on from Bloom? Um, I, I mean, the I, pitching I, pipeline. I, I don't know if it's so much the pitching pipeline as – he had two consecutive situations at the deadline where they had to add or subtract and he couldn't commit to either. And I've heard that it's because he was valuing his prospects too much and holding on. He didn't have the assertiveness. I don't actually agree with that sentiment to it. I, my, my read was that he has a system for how he values players and he sticks to it. No matter what, there's a logic to it and a discipline but you can't do that. You can't try to be over overtly logical in inherently illogical situations, like trying to compete at the deadline traffic, having to pick something 
and not really thinking about the numbers as much. Uh, thinking about more like what's going to help this team, what's going to bring out the best in everybody, what's going to motivate my guys to play better. And that doesn't happen when you don't make a move or when you just don't commit to either thing. Um, you could, I, I, I would honestly say that I had no issue with the trades that he made in the 2022 deadline. I thought those were actually all pretty, pretty, pretty much baggers. Uh, Deakman for McGuire, you know, like that was Tommy Pham. Yeah, Tommy Pham for, um, mm-hmm. oh God, that first, uh, Nick Northcutt, who a lot of home runs, but like not even their best home run hitting first baseman at the time, not anywhere close to it. You know, yeah. that's like for a rental, that's the kind of deal you want to make. Um, I mean, that Vasquez trade is looking awesome now. Oh, know? yeah. I, I think mean, William and Valdez, their, yeah. yeah. And it's not that Valdez is a total nobody. If Valdez was a right handed hitter, we wouldn't be talking about the Red Sox needing a DH. <laughs> you know, they'd have that guy. <laughs> But right. he, he's a, he's the second baseman that can't really play defense. The point here, though, is that these are all fine trades. Even getting Hosmer and um, – because I really like Corey Rozier at uh, AAA. I think he's a really useful piece for somebody that Jake Rube, like – like he was pretty – like that's a 40-man roster mm-hmm. space for BFAing. You got a little bit back for that. Fine. Yeah, and he was going to be Rule 5 eligible too. Yeah, so yeah. That was a, yeah, that was totally a good – that was totally a win for them, even if Hosmer didn't give them much. But what do these moves all have in common? They're all kind of below the surface. None of these are really significant moves that are going to it. They're, they're subtly good ones. I thought the Kyle Schwarber trade was phenomenally good at the time. Yeah, but that was people act like Kyle Schwarber was an all-star at the time. He wasn't. He was hurt when they got him, and he never played first base, and they, they put him at first base. Um, right. These, these were always what these moves were. Um, and, and I've said this a lot about Haim. I think that... The moves that he made, I very rarely had a problem with. It was the moves that he didn't make. And I think that that was really what came back, I think, in 2023. And this was the last straw with it, was that the team was still in the race. Your bullpen's exhausted. So even if you pick up a little bit just to help with that, I didn't hate the Luis Arias trade. I actually thought that I was perfectly fine with that. But they needed more. They needed a lot more. They needed right, yeah. they needed to re-inspire the team. And the thing that ultimately did it for Haim wasn't even the team falling off after that. It was the Dodgers came into town and it was it, it was mostly Dodgers fans. And then the Yankees came into town and they couldn't give away one dollar tickets. And once that happens, that's when the team starts fading into irrelevance. And, and right. you know, you can say whatever you want to about John Henry and have whatever opinion you want but he's a good businessman and as soon as the team stops being as profitable uh, that that's what i think cost it for for bloom more than anything right. um i think personally um i do think that he's going to land on his feet after this he was there was already talks that he was going to end up uh with the marlins or something but he's yeah. taking the, i mean they're paying him not to work like that sounds awesome right <laughs> um but I think he, I think he, he, he'll be fine in a small market. I think he'd be a really good GM for like the Royals or a team that totally. they don't have to, they don't have to feed the monster every now and then. Totally, and I think I was really excited because the depending on how they approached this offseason, their their window kind of would really open up in twenty twenty four, but especially twenty twenty five because you think Meyer and Teal will be ready and Anthony. they're going to have a, they're yeah, even potentially Roman Anthony and. Also, with so much money coming off the books, you were hoping that maybe this year or with a stacked class next year, they could make a splash. And I wanted to see Bloom do that. And I you know, I just didn't think they gave him a fair shot to kind of finish out his rebuild. But you raise a good point. I mean, if a team like the Royals or somebody like that, the Tigers, gave him a shot, he would do well because he got a lot of under-the-radar guys. I mean, for for example, Roman Anthony, nobody saw him taking the jump that he did. And, yeah, well, great draft, yeah, and, and he became uh, a, a top prospect in baseball in the blink of an eye. And I think what he did with, like, the driveline, the, the guys in, in the minors really helped a lot of guys. So I think totally he's going to work somewhere and he'll land on his feet. I just think they probably didn't handle that the way it should have. And it's if it wasn't really, like, a spending issue, it was more so the team became unprofitable. That's pretty unfortunate in my eyes jason you want to talk about maybe one of the trades you or i had in in mind yeah but i I just want to touch up on one more thing i mean yeah yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there ed it was not the moves he didn't make it was the moves he their bloom did not make right 2023 you got to pick a direction right it was worth investing 
but I would have seen the other side of the things. It's like, okay, are we really in this? Is this sustainable? I know Paxton's good. I know these pitchers are okay, but is this really sustainable? Yeah. And that was going to pick a direction. Yeah. That was yeah. like one of the main problems then. And then in 2022, like, sure, you, 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 you did make those moves, but you also, you also got to stay under the tax. I mean, just trading JD Martinez. And it's a lot of hindsight too. Yeah, well, of course it's hindsight, but you can, again, I point it to a lack of, um, just a lack of flexibility. This is what I can get for this guy. I value him higher than this. If I don't get this value, I'm not going to do it. We saw that with some of the trades that didn't happen with Chris Sale going to the Rangers, potentially, that came out. Yeah, and I think the Turner for Cabrera one that was Turner for Cabrera was another one, yeah. Yeah. Um, and one that I don't know as much about, but I think we all remember what I consider to this day his worst trade. Um, and that's Hunter Renfro for uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., David Hamilton, and um, who's Benelis. the other one? Uh, Alex Benelis, yeah. yeah. And I don't consider here, uh, th- it's not his worst trade because of the trade itself, because I'm actually fine with that trade. The problem was that you gave up a middle of the order hitter and you didn't replace him. You didn't get, because I was convinced they were getting Seiya Suzuki after that. It made Mm. so much sense. And I don't know if it was just the lockout throwing out the timing, or maybe they just thought he was overrated and it was never in the cards. I don't know. But that would have made, it would have made sense. And it changes everything. If you get Suzuki there, then you probably don't get Yoshida. And not just because they're both Japanese. You have an outfielder there that's locked in for five years. So you don't, and he can actually play right right right. field too. Um, uh, yeah, that is hindsight, though. Um, and you can play it over and over again. What happened, though, was that, like you said, they didn't commit to anything. And Yeah. Yeah, and one thing on the run for a not a terrible idea. You just you screwed up the return. Yeah. Right? Not a and terrible if, idea. And yeah, in 20, and if, yeah. Yeah, sorry. if you're going to make that trade, just make sure that you have, uh, you have Tommy Pham or someone lined up. You know, you don't need, it doesn't need to be somebody that's hitting 260 with 30 homers or whatever it did Renfro did here. It just needs to be passable defensively and passable with the bat. And they didn't get either. Right. And Renfro was actually like one of the bargain bin in quote moves that. Oh yeah. And and it totally worked out. I mean, the guy was awesome. And I mean, he had bombs. He had a gun in right field, even though. You know his defense was questionable at times. But Very like, strange reads. Like yeah. he had the he would get but, the reads of a softball right fielder. Right, yeah, but that's that's fixable though. I mean, right. if you want if you want to put the route where it's like he he, he can he was going to still improve. That that yeah. my thinking at the end of twenty twenty one. I'm like, look, this guy defensively he has something, but these are all coachable things. Yeah, and the whole point was like that was one of Bloom's under the radar cheap deals that ended up working out and. He, mm-hmm. he kind of threw that out of the window with a poor return and a poor um, plan in, in place yeah. afterwards of not replacing right. a bat. Like he said, Suzuki, right. we thought, with, I mean, he was a Padre for a couple of hours. I don't know if you remember that or whatever. Oh, but yeah. He was he was with a bunch of different teams. I was, yeah, the Cubs were still a surprise to me that he ended yeah, up yeah, there. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. I'm a big Seiya Suzuki fan, so that, that would hurt that would hurt yeah. a little bit yeah, when they yeah, didn't yeah. get him. Yeah. Yeah, but po- point point being though, you traded Renfro and your team got worse. Yeah, and you're adding two low level prospects, and you're adding more to your payroll. Because <laughs> remember, the time, Bradley was yeah. Bradley was seven million. Yeah, at the time it seemed like a buying prospect deal. I almost wonder if they were like if they thought about just not te- not non tendering him, but they were like, okay, we can get something for him at least if we keep him. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, but he was, I mean, apparently he was already out of the door because I, I saw this, good. I read, I read something somewhere. It might've been in a book. It might've been just on Twitter or a yeah. podcast. I remember, but apparently after the wildcard series, apparently like Renfro was like moving out of his house in Boston. Yeah. So yeah. something was up like, yeah, he was, he knew he was out of the door whether it had been non, like you said, non-tendered or yeah. traded. So if they were non-tendered, they were, look, Urias was probably going to get non, kind of relating. Yeah. To good the trade, Urias, by the way. Right. Yeah. Good Urias. trade. Oh, totally. Urias for Campbell. Great trade. You got, right. you got a guy that, have you seen his mustache? Have you <laughs> yeah. seen that mustache glasses combo? He looks like my dad oh, yeah. circa like 1981. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And he's got good stuff. Yeah, he's got yeah. that slider. He had a yeah. good. He put up good numbers. That's one thing that I really like. This isn't a guy that like. Well, he's been good in AAA. No, he pitched well in the majors. Pitched really well in the majors. Yeah. yeah. But my point is, if you 
the Red Sox probably were planning to non-tender Urias. Yeah, just I, would, I would, I would have to agree with that. I would right. Have to agree so with then that. they looked to trade him, and they got a good return. They probably thought the same of Renfro, and here we are now. Yeah. Right. So, anything else? I, I want to move on to mock trades. Oh um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the, the getting because I, I had a lot of these thoughts about High and Bloom that I haven't been able to share on a show. Really, <laughs> so this was this was partially me just getting that off. No, no, no. It's totally good. I like it. Tangent that yeah. worked out. Totally. I just oh, want yeah. to end it with a with my final assessment of High and Bloom. Mediocre, good at some things, bad at others. Unfortunately, the bad was uh, making money and getting butts in the seats at the big league level, focused mm-hmm. on the wrong level. Partially yep. by decree, it is what it is. I wish him luck. Yep, fair enough. Same here. He's a smart guy. There's nothing, you can't deny that. Um, I want to move on to um, mock trades. Jack, you want to go first on your first mock trade, I guess? Yeah, sure. We we talked about Jason and I have been on the Braxton Garrett uh, train, I guess you could say, for a while. He was actually a name that I threw out around the trade deadline as a guy who I could have seen getting moved because Miami has a surplus of pitchers, especially with uh, guys coming up too and at the big league level. So it's like they need help in the in the outfield or or not in the outfield, but in the infield and wherever else they can get it, they need help in their lineup. So them moving a pitcher we saw as a realistic possibility six months ago, but now Luzardo has kind of popped as more as the, as the maybe ACE potential. So I had, this is baseball trade value has him around a 63 million value. And I had in t- return for Luzardo, the Sox sending Duran Houck and then some sort of sweetener, which isn't worth a whole lot as, but Duran and Houck is the two big pieces and Hauk has more value than York, and I don't want to just throw York in every single trade like everybody else does. Right, but what right. would you think about something like Duran, one of the young pitchers like Hauk? I mean, I know other people are throwing around Cutter Crawford a little bit, and some sort of sweetener for a guy with Lizardo. So I'm going to congratulate you guys because uh, it's it, it's a fact for me. I, I absolutely hate fake trades. I absolutely hate the proposals to them because I, I will listen to them. I will absolutely listen to them, but most of the time, my response is that doesn't make sense, and here's why. Lizardo's interesting, though, and I will t- mm-hmm. I will tell you why. And I was worried you were going to go somewhere with Braxton Garrett because I, um, it's not that Braxton Garrett is a bad pitcher, but they have a bunch of guys in the same tier as Braxton Garrett. I don't think yeah. Bra- I don't think Braxton Garrett is any better than Hauk or um, or Crawford or Pavetta. I kind of think he's the same tier as them. Um, but the Red Sox don't have him, so Red Sox fans probably overvalue him a little bit. Lazardo, however, that's the kind of guy they should be targeting. I, I, I would make the case that he might be the only guy that I would be interested that we know for a fact is available. Um, because we heard, you, I'm sure you guys heard the same rumors as me that um, they offered the Royals uh, Lazardo even up for Pasquatino, who is a 26 year old first baseman. Very good hitter. Like, very, yeah. like I'm not underselling him. Uh, there's him and Cassis are, in my opinion, the best two like young first, like young first basemen that are kind of up and coming. But Pasquatino's a little older, and he had a really like he had a labrum injury, and labrums are the thing that that those are those can be career busters. Those are things that you don't always like fully repair. So when I hear that, he's obviously he's not a pitcher, but you can still get your power drained from that kind of injury. Did the Royals um, say no if I... The I Royals said no, and they signed Michael Walker instead. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and you can see what the Marlins are trying to do. They round out the corner of their infield because they yeah. have Berger on, at third, and they're looking for the first baseman. They have it, Arise at second. So, like, yeah, it's an interesting move by them. Actually, exactly. But like an interesting offer. I think... But I, I don't think they can trade Cassis. I don't think the Red Sox can afford to trade Cassis. Definitely not. Um, and, and if... Definitely not, no. No. Yeah. And, and, um, and if if so, that better be in a deal for a guy like Cease rather than Luzardo. Yeah, I mean, I uh, are we going to get to Cease? Are we, are we going to get to Dylan Cease later, or like I don't, have, he, I don't think he, he's he in a trade? He's not in, okay. He's not in one of your proposals. No, we're more like I hate Dylan Cease. I I think Luzardo is 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 like three times better than getting Dylan Cease. I think Luzardo is that that's true. 
that's a guy that you can stick as your number three or two. He's that, 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 that he's, 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 he's really good. I think. Yeah. Um, and he's had results at a young age, which is yeah, really encouraging. he's been around forever. Um, so what was your offer? It was uh, Duran, Hauk, and like a, a sweetener. Like what level of a sweetener here are we talking? Nothing about? crazy. Like I mean, like what's what, what's nothing crazy? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. If I had to look at it, let me pull let me pull up real quick. Uh, just a list of some. Well, it could be on. like okay, like top ten in the system, top twenty in the system, top thirty. In yeah, the system. probably. You see probably what I'm like, saying? Probably top. Yeah, if you put it that way, probably like around 18, 18 16, 19. 18. Okay. So what about a Brian uh, Mata, a guy who doesn't have any options? Yeah. Potentially <laughs> somebody like that. Maybe somebody well, a little bit more expensive. That's an issue. It yeah. depends on why would the Marlins necessarily want him. That's a 40 man exactly. spot. That's a giant scratch ticket. Mata's. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, how can Duran might get it done if Duran's a corner infielder? Do you know if the Marlins need another outfielder though? Well, the thing is, Jazz—that's a question. Jazz really a center fielder? That's they that's say he is. They say right. no plans to move him. Well, I mean, so that, that leaves you with like De La Cruz, Cruz is fine. Yeah, yeah De La Cruz is fine. Who's De La the Cruz, other one? Jesus Sanchez, all guys who are um, worth building around. But I don't think as much of Sanchez. I do like De. I, I De La Cruz is one of these like so average, he's boring kind of guys. But he's young enough, and he's you know that he, he you know what you're gonna get from him. Yeah, and I mean, Durant, um, he might even be the best out of that group. I think Duran is better, so they'd be upgrading there. But is it is it a significant enough upgrade at the position that you downgrade Lazardo into Hauk? You see what I mean? Because that's what the Duran's going to have to fill the gap between the two there. No, yeah, you're you're right. The thing is about I, I think Duran can become. He's not going to be their best bat, but he could. He's he's he he immediately jumps probably one of their top three best hitters. Yeah, which is valuable for a team like them because they don't go out and pay big time contracts. I mean, like that's why they've been so interested in Justin Turner because it's a guy towards the end of their careers. His career is not going to demand a four, five, six year deal, and it won't be overly expensive. So that he he kind of fits their market. Is, yeah. is more so the idea, and and they're not going to get a much better option than that. I, if yeah, they want to round up their lineup. But I think that what they were trying to do with that Pasquatino deal was get it wasn't so much the position, it was that centerpiece of the lineup that you can just that be what Cassis is to the Red or Devers for the Red Sox lineup, somebody like that. Mm. Duran really isn't that. Duran's a useful player and he can do more, but he's a leadoff guy or like somebody that's in the back end of your batting order if he's not getting on base. Um, mm-hmm. And the defense is good, but it's not great. He's, he improved last year, but he's he's still not – like you're not excited about him as your center fielder. So I, I don't hate that offer. It's not one where I'm like thinking like you get my two worst players and I get your best player or whatever. Like I think, I think that there's some real thought in that deal. I just don't – I think the Marlins hold out for more. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you're probably right. Lizardo's he's he's been so good at such a young age and and he's still got what oh, two years so left good. on his deal. He's so good. I think if they offer that for Edward Cabrera, they do it. I think if they offer that for um, Oh, oh, they'd easily do that. Yeah. 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 One of the other for one of the lesser guys, but the Red Sox don't need another four and the Marlins right. don't need like they they need a centerpiece of the Red Sox day to day. So the Red Sox don't have really have that immediate centerpiece right now that they can afford mm-hmm. to trade. In my, right, in my and opinion. they want to keep on to that big three. Yeah, you got to think about where these players are in the pipeline, also, because you've got to be these guys are planning for like four or five years in advance from now. So if your pipeline at like AAA is fine, but maybe you need something at AA, maybe you can do it that way for the Red Sox dealing their younger guys. But I just I'm not I wouldn't know off the top of my head with the. Uh, the Marlins, like what, where, like their minor league system needs it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Jason, you, you got uh, one. Everything up. I got one. I got one, but and this is more of an interesting one because yeah. it's a one for one with the Cleveland Guardians, who the Red Sox haven't had a big move with them in years. Like you got the last one. Is that like Coco Crisp? Probably the last. I think big that one. was Coco Crisp. Wow. If I remember correct, I wrote an article for Beyond the Monster about it in August. Shout, shout out to our, uh, our 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 colleague uh, Chris Hendrick, who yes. verified a bunch of rumors today for me to to go through, which was great. 
I saw that. Get at sources. That is, Chris Hedrick is the dark knight of uh, of Red Sox Twitter. He holds a lot of this stuff close to the chest, but when he, it's always good when he goes public with it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, basically, their last move was remember Brad Peacock after that COVID outbreak. Oh my God, I remember that. Right, and oh, the move before man. that was Sandy Leon getting traded to Cleveland. For something I don't remember, but still in baseball, he got a World Series ring last year. He played with the Rangers <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah, but my my proposal is one for one: Tristan McKenzie for Jaron Duran. But let me explain. the The Guardians need pitch. They need hitting rather. They're a pitching factory, right? McKenzie, an injury riddled twenty twenty three. But in 2022, an ERA below three and over 190 innings pitched, uh, whip below one, good stuff. He has really good stuff. Yeah, Strikeout really numbers might not be there, but I think he's definitely replaceable in some guys. I know, I know it's a stretch, but I think Durant can also work. And there's just I know they have Miles Straw, but Miles Straw's not great offensively, right? I mean, heck, you can probably he's the number nine hitter at best. I mean, I don't think that, well, I don't think Straw is going to be playing. I don't think he's starting next year. I think Brennan is, I think they really like Brennan. Who are the other two outfielders? Quan. Quan. Quan, yeah, I mean, Quan's Quan's legit. I like Quan. Yeah, but he's a left Yeah, so you'd be adding, ah, I just don't see it. Like, a a pitcher of McKenzie's quality is really hard to get. Pitching always beats offense, and I I don't think that um, Duran is even a better hitter than McKenzie as a pitcher. That's not a diss on Duran. McKenzie's just really good, and it's much harder to get pitching like that. So I, I'd say Cleveland, uh, Cleveland is gonna is gonna pass on that. You might be able to get, a, I don't know, a different starter, but McKenzie's like pretty, pretty high quality there. Right. Yeah, I think it, McKenzie's actually a really interesting target, and I think he would definitely go at the right price. It would probably just cost a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I no, I don't know if any pitcher for them is unobtainable, and there is a bit of an injury risk just because of his build and everything. Um, but I don't think Duran gets it done. I think you have to, you'd have to make yourself pretty uncomfortable, and I don't think the Red Sox are going to move any of the big three. So, right. you know, or or definitely not Bayo. Um, it depends how, yeah. I mean, Cleveland values, and if you, if they value him like you said, like look, he has he has real stuff. Then like, yeah, I definitely hold out. Yeah. But I'm I'm just re, like if he yeah. had a if he had a good 20, 20, 20, 23, forget it. Yeah. But just because he had, I, I don't I don't remember his exact numbers, but back he, pitched, see if I he can only pull pitched it like up. fifteen or twenty innings. It was super low, like, it, like yeah, a five yeah. five yeah he had a, but he yeah. was sixteen innings, not not a good sample size. And yeah, losses. no, he was beat, losses don't matter. He was but. beat up. He was beat up, but then look at what he did in uh the year before that when he threw 191 mm-hmm. in. Yeah, so, he was crazy, I mean, yeah. he's only 20, he'll be 26 this year. Like, that's just you know, it would be selling low and buying on, on McKenzie and buying high on Duran. That's so, true. Like, it's just, I just point. don't, I just don't know if that's the, I don't think that's the fit. Uh, but I think Dur- that's the thing. I do think Duran is a good player and they can get somebody for him. It just would have to be the team that is trading for him would need Duran to be a real significant upgrade. And they would need to have pitching that's better than like, uh, than, than what they're giving up. Like, it would have to be that team's number four starter and it's expendable right. at that point or something like that. Right. Um, one question I want to ask you, Ed. Yeah. Um, you know, we there are a lot. There's a lot of buzz that you know the surplus in outfielders, especially if yeah. they get Teoscar Hernandez. Like no Please. question. With Roman Teoscar, I would love Teoscar. Right. Right. But actually, I was actually leaning to another direction. You know, okay, let's hear it. There's so a they guy. Don't sign, so they don't sign Teoscar in this. With or without hands. him. Okay. Right. There's someone's going to be left out. Sadon Rafaela. He's an interesting guy. Because he's a glove first guy with a approach that I've been told by a lot of people is not going to work in the big leagues. Uh, that's a, that's that that is a kind way of putting it. Yes, he's extremely aggressive. Um, some guys can get away with that. The problem is, as soon as you lose a millisecond, you become Javier Baez. You can only be that aggressive if you're hitting the ball and you're hitting the, you're hitting it really mm. hard. Um, so, you know, he's young enough that he can still learn. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, what no, what are we talking about with Sadon so, here? So I, my question was, how do you value him 
knowing that he has that plate discipline issue and knowing that he's going to provide, he's a great fielder. He's a great center fielder that you're going to put him just because of that defense. Like how would you value him? Would you value him higher or high or would you value him? Like, nah, this guy is probably not as good as we thought, I guess. It's a tough question. I know. I think that if you, whatever you do with him, you have to present. You have to frame this as you're making a decision on him. You can't kick the. You can't kick it down the this down the lane because he loses all of his value or he gains too much value that you can't trade him. Uh, so you just have to be committed to this next one. Is he is Sadon Rafaela? What is he? Because now you can you can use him as like a decent piece in a trade. He's a, he's a top one hundred prospect, so you can use him as a decent yeah. piece. People know the glove is going to play, so you're getting something with him. But if you kick that down further, you're committing to him at the very least as being like a utility guy for a few years, or you're just dropping him because you're not going to be able to get as much for him. Um, what would I value him as? I think he's got to be your centerpiece because he's he's, and I don't mean this. It sounds so weird because it's like, okay, if he was that good, well, why would you trade him? And it's like, well, because he might be that good and he might not be. And you have the depth to withstand trading him because you've got a shitload of outfielders ahead of him and behind him. Can I say shit on this show? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. This is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. That's interesting. The whole thing is the depth, right? I mean, the question he, is honestly. He's the one think- you can trade. He's the one that you can get something for. Totally. And I think something that people have probably been overrating, I think William Abreu might have been slightly overrated. People. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not saying fight he's overrated. I'm saying he's being overrated because people are, are kind of penciling him in as like the starting right fielder or, oh, you know, Rafaela has to go to AAA, even though we think he's probably ready because we need to pr- play Abreu. The reality is Abreu had you know, like 30 really strong games, but we have no idea what this would look like over an entire season. And on top of that, it's not like you expected him to come up and hit the way he is. He's not some top prospect. He's not some cornerstone. So how, I guess, in those 30 games, he hit over 300 and he had some power and good arm too. So is he being properly rated as like, oh yeah, he can be our right fielder this year and, and because of that, we need to move on from uh, Duran or Rafaela or or, pe- or or people right to have that confidence, or is he being a little bit overrated? I think he's probably being a little bit overrated. I'm not – this isn't a, a, a punch at him. It's probably a punch at, like, people who think he's already good enough to be an every, everyday MLB player. Well, the reality I, is we just yeah. don't know. I would contend that he's not an everyday player, even if he's on the team. I think that they start Tyler O'Neill against lefties regardless. Um, so he has a bit of um, a crutch to go in with. They really hit him. I think he had 10, 10 of his at-bats or something like that were against lefties last year. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this about Willier. Um, just having been around him at AAA for most of the season while he was there, uh, he is a big leaguer. He carries himself like one. He has the right. He has the right um, approach, and he's going to strike out a lot, but he's going to take his walks too. Um, and that's something like he's, yeah. he has. A, I think that um, he's not as good as Tristan Cassis, but it's a similar approach where they're he's willing to take the walk, but he's like he has power too. He's like a good hitter. He's a legitimately good hitter. He has an absolute rocket for an arm. One thing that's kind of nice about him is that. Ideally, he's a corner guy, but you can put him in center and he'll be okay there, which means that he can probably play right at Fenway, which is difficult. Absolute cannon for an arm. Um, maybe maybe, maybe too strong because I don't know how well he always can command it, but that thing's a rifle. Uh, I feel as good – I feel better about Abreu as a starter than I would Rafaela. I'll tell you that. Um, Interesting. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um because he's, I mean, he's a good fielder. He's not a great fielder, Abreu, but he he's not going to hurt you either. Um, yeah, totally. And the, yeah, the approach is a lot more mature. He's older too. I mean, Rafael is only twenty two. Abreu's been at this for a while. Abreu's twenty five, um, so he's closer to that anyway. Uh, the other thing I would say, keep an eye on with Rafael is how what how they approach the second base position, because I think that if they we don't see them making a move there, um. I, I, I could conceivably see him getting there. Like, you know what? We're just going to roll with the kid and put him as the second baseman. Uh, 
Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I feel like that's something that hasn't been talked about too much, Raphael, at seconds, probably because they don't want to put the platinum glove potential in, a, in the outfield at, at, at a hold, I guess, which is interesting. But it's interesting that you think Abreu – I mean, it's not a – I wouldn't – that's not a bad take. I probably agree because of experience. And Raphael, like we said, the overaggression and potentially poor, very poor plate discipline could get him into very yeah. cold stretches that – aren't ready that you can't can, really can, have the big leagues at 20. Can I ask you guys something? Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm terrible at this now. Um, how old are you guys? I'm 17. Jason. Okay, 19. 17. okay. So you don't know Trot Nixon then? No of him, but like, you don't know love him. You've heard the name, but in the same way that I know of like a, a, a Dwight Evans, I never saw him play or yeah, anything. Yeah. 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 Nixon was one of these guys that just kind of, he wasn't an all-star. You can look up his numbers. He was good. He wasn't great. He was never an all-star or anything like that, but he did his job and he did it well. And he was like a real dirt dog. Like you hear the term dirt dog. Mm-hmm. I kind of give, I don't know if Abreu's like, he seems like he, he's a barber in his free time. Like he has like a barber shop during the off season. So he seems like a guy that takes care of himself pretty well, but he does the little things. He does the little things like, yeah, he always he knows where to throw the ball. He knows what base to take. He can do a little bit of everything, even if he isn't going to win an MVP or a silver slugger. Teams need guys like that. Every championship team has a few guys like that that can perform at that quality level and do the dirty work, but they're not necessarily going to get all the glory. He's going to get get himself hit by a pitch to get to first base, take second on a ground out, and then score on like um, a bouncer or something like that. Like that's that's the kind of player he is. He's not going to be the guy that's getting the glory, but he's a good role player. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you have any other trade proposals, Jack? Because that was the one big one. I well, had I guess last before. thing, if you could say one, if you had 10 seconds of John Henry's time right now, what would you say? Um, I, I'm going to give you the answer that I always give this with Henry. Um, so I play a, I, I'm pretty competitive in this um it's like a tabletop uh, game from 1951 called APA Baseball. I've been doing this since I was like seven or eight years old. Um, you have It's kind of like out of the park or any of those games, like Stratomatic, stuff like that. But you have ownership of this team for years, and you're kind of just running it like a GM, and then you play out the games like a manager and kind of learn the game from this. John Henry played this game. John Henry didn't just play this game. Before he was the, re- uh, the owner of the Red Sox, he absolutely cleaned up at it. He was like absurdly good at it. Um, so what I would do is I would ask him if this influenced how he ran the Red Sox for one, I would ask him, uh, I would ask him honestly, like what his favorite draft pick was, who was his favorite guy that he got. Cause we're, you're drafting all your own players in this. And, okay. like, some of the, you get like, I always had a real attachment to AJ Pierzynski because I got him at the very beginning of his career. And he was like a, a good catcher for like 20 seasons. You know, how hard it is to do with a catcher. I never oh, had yeah. to worry about a new catcher. And now it's like that random every year. The Red Sox too. Yeah. Every year, every year. <laughs> now I have to find a new one. I got Omar Novias. I thought I solved it. Nope. But I had Christian Bethencourt. Thought I solved it. Nope. Uh, it, it's infuriating, but, uh, so I'd ask him about that. And then I'd also ask him if his passion had changed, like if he feels is baseball, just a relic of a different time in his life. And he's looking, cause he has so many different teams. Yeah. That's kind of, he still calls it Fenway sports group, but you know, he doesn't have, he, he said it, how much money he's willing to spend. And he's not a stupid guy. He knows that to be immediately competitive, you have to spend money now. And you also can't spend money like, like an idiot you have to hit on the, all the right guys kind of like texas rangers and you're still gonna miss on some of them yeah um it doesn't seem like he it seems like it's all become part of a bigger thing and i don't know if he has the same passion so i'd ask like just like be real dude like it's cool if this is like a money maker for you you've earned you've earned this you you brought the city of boston for world series when i was a kid they, there were people saying, if we ever get one, if we ever get one, I'll die happy because my father never got to see one and my grandfather never got to see one. Yeah. So I, that's all I need. Once and I'll die happy. And we've gotten four, man. Like, and John Henry gave them to that, that to us. And like, he's lost his passion at this point. Fine. So be it. I just want to know. I, yeah, I don't fair. want to speculate. 
I don't yeah, want to yeah, read like into this. I, I just, just be honest, man. Like, it's cool. It really is. Like, I'm not going to, oh, my owner has other interests. Cool. But I just want to know. I don't want people to, I just want us to all be on the same page. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely do it a little bit different, but, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I think we're coming up on an hour here. So any final thoughts, guys? I'll start with you, Ed. Any final any thoughts? Final thoughts on what? Just in general, I guess. Just wrap oh, it just up. Thanks for having me, guys. This is uh, fun. But I, I want you guys to uh, bring Hogdale on because I think you'll get better. I mean, that that's a guy right there. I think I think Hogdale needs to go on the show. Noted. Appreciate Noted, that. Yeah. yeah. Reach out to him. He looks scary, but he's not. He's like a giant teddy bear. He's like the sweetest. <laughs> he's like, I, like Hogdale jokes aside, he's like the sweetest human being on the planet. I love Hogdale and ironically. Real name is Grant. His real name is Grant. <laughs> okay, well. I'll shoot him a DM or something. Do it, please. Slide into his that. DMs. Tell him to listen to the episode because it has a message for him. I love you, Hogdale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will do. Thank you, Ed. We we appreciate your time. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So for Jack, and before I end it, if you don't follow Ed Hand on Twitter, what are you doing? Go follow him at Ed Hand Eight Nine. That's all one, no spaces, no capitals, but. For Jack, for Ed, I'm Jason. Thanks for listening to this, and go Sox.